Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information, go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. Today, we are on part three of a series we've been doing called Off the Wheel. And it's, uh, as you saw, based on the idea that sometimes in life we just feel like we're on a wheel and, and things are never changing, never get anywhere. Uh, probably we could all apply this to different areas of our lives. And uh, just depending upon your season, it could be a problem here or a problem there. But for most of us, we've all known what it feels like in your financial world to just feel like you're getting nowhere. And that's kind of the reason behind this series. There are two thoughts that underpin this. The first one is that what we do practically shows where we are spiritually. When people say, well, wait a minute, this is one of the more practical things. Why are we talking about this? Because what we do practically reveals where we are spiritually. And then I I think this is maybe the core for me, the most important reason that we talk about money and how we spend money and how we budget and all of these sorts of things is because when our financial life isn't going well, we will either challenge or question the goodness of God. And that's a fact. I've just seen it across the board. And I want you to be in a place where you can say, God is good to me. At least as much as is in your hands. Everything else is in his hands, but some of it is in our hands. And so that's why we're doing this. But I want to make sure, I've been saying all along, this series will solve all your problems. We just don't have time for that. We've only got you know, a few minutes on a few Sundays, and we're going to talk about some big issues, but we're not going to be able to solve everything. You need someone to walk through this with you, and, and you need to look at some issues at a deeper level and learn more about some of this that we don't know. Uh, so I want to encourage you, we have a life group for this topic starting at the end of the series. We delayed it just for this. It's called Financial Peace University. It's uh, Dave Ramsey. Um, I believe that everybody at some point should either do Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University or its equivalent. Uh, As early in life, the better. Because we all need to get our financial life where it is under our control instead of us feeling like we're chasing it on a wheel trying to catch up with it somewhere. So I want to encourage you, if you have never done FPU, uh, Financial Peace University, it will start next Monday night. Next Monday night, because next Sunday I wrap this up and then Monday night that life group will start. You can sign up on the app, on the website, or drop by the white tent and talk to somebody um, and then that'll be great. So look, here's how we've been doing the series. We've been doing it in time. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, and eternity. So, so far, here's where we are. Yesterday, that was part one, where we talked about being haunted by our yesterdays. You wake up every day, and you're still paying for something you already did, already bought, already ate. I mean, come on, it's just horrible, isn't it? And you just wish you were done with it, but then visa bill shows up, and you're not done with it. Last week, in part two, we talked about the idea of today, and what is God doing every day in our lives? He is teaching us to be content or confronting the causes of discontent. When we're not able to do something we think we should do or want to do, God might be after something in our souls because I truly believe God wants his people to be blessed. It's just biblical all throughout the Bible. It doesn't mean God wants his people to all have a beach house. That's not what I said. But God does want his people to be blessed. And so today, we're going to talk about tomorrow. There you go. That gets confusing with the way we did this, didn't it? Talking about tomorrow. And so we've got questions that we're doing every week with the series. If you've got your phones, pull out the Grace Life app, click on Off the Wheel, and here are the two questions we are answering today uh, about tomorrow. There you go. Do you have three months' income saved for emergencies? And second, what percentage of your gross income do you save specifically toward retirement? Take it away. 
Everybody keeps waiting on me to do a little dance. Maybe next week. Come back next week. I might finally get something worked out there. Hey, some of you have been having trouble with your app. Now is a good time for me to point out. If you downloaded the Grace Life app and you didn't read some of those things that first pop up, one of them said, allow improvements. And you may have accidentally or intentionally clicked no. What that means is you have the original release and it'll never update. You need to change that in your settings because this stuff is not on there, on the original. So anyway, there you go. That's for free. All right, let's see how you guys are doing. Do you have three months income saved for emergencies? Uh, I guess we're going with numbers. 84 people have answered, 84 families. 50 of us say no, and 34 of us say yes. And our second question, how much of your income are you saving for retirement? Uh, The overwhelming majority of us. Um, zero to five percent, and and we're just going to assume you're leaning closer to five than zero. Wouldn't that be good? Yeah, y'all not going to laugh with me today. Come on. Uh, and then a bunch of us, five to ten. Less of us, ten to fifteen. And then fewest of us, fifteen plus. Now, why do those two things matter? Why did we ask those two questions? Having three months savings set aside for the unforeseen. And having say, and re- putting away for retirement at least 15% of your gross income, both of those are what's recommended by leading Christian financial counselors so that your tomorrow is what you want it to be. So that when something happens and something comes into your life, you're ready for it, as well as for when you get to that place in retirement, it's the kind of life that you currently would like to have when you get there. But unfortunately, many people probably kind of have a story that's a little more like mine. You know, we do what we've seen. Does that mean, you understand that? Have you ever noticed that the, 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 these cool new kids that are playing in college today and everybody's talking about them being like a one and done because they're a number one recruit in the NBA and they're awesome? Notice the next thing they talk about is how their father was in the NBA. You see, we do what we see. We're great at what we've seen someone else do. And most of us have not seen these kind of things modeled. And so we don't naturally do them. I grew up in a family where my grandparents, my, I mean, oh my goodness, they came from the generation that just worked so hard. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you worked when the sun was up and you worked until the sun went down and nobody felt sorry for that. And my, my grandfather, his chair to relax in, all of us would look and go, what? Because it was a, it's like an office chair, like two hard arms, wooden arms, it was, I wouldn't, I would sit in the doctor's office waiting on my appointment. That would not be my sit down and relax after 12 hours in the field kind of chair. But that's just how, how he was. Hardworking man, probably didn't really know how to relax. And my grandmother worked as a waitress down the grill. They had nine kids. Wow, there you go. That's a lot. They worked hard their whole lives. And by the time they got to retirement, they had social security and nothing else. And my grandfather died pretty early into retirement. That was way back when I was in high school. But my grandmother just died uh, two years ago at 96 years old. Come on, that's, yeah, 90, and she loved Jesus and had nine kids. We got a 96 years old, loves Jesus, has nine kids. What, what more could you ask for, right? Except for one thing, I think, and that is that she had two sources of life. One of them was Social Security, and the other was Christmas presents from her kids, Fortunately, she had kids who loved her and were generous toward her. But other than that, she didn't have much uh, control of what she wanted to do financially. If she wanted to take a little trip, she was only going to do it if somebody uh, wanted to help her take that little trip. 
My dad was a similar situation. If you've been here for the series, you've been hearing some of my story. It's just what I've been sharing with you. And I told you he was a blue-collar worker that worked three jobs. Nobody works a third job for their retirement fund. Right? Anybody in here got a part-time job just for your retirement fund? Yeah, we don't do that. If you work a third job, it is to pay bills that you don't have any other choice about. And so he as well ended up getting to retirement later than he wanted to and then only having Social Security to take care of him. And what I've watched way too often, at least in my family line, is that people just spend it all because they've got too much going on or they've got too much yesterday to pay for or maybe they think they don't make enough. And when they get older, they go into what I call hibernation mode. Come on, anybody ever seen that? It's like you get to the point where you're no longer working, so you've figured out you've got just enough to make it through the winter. <laughs> and you kind of like close the blinds, and you visit family, once, family visits you once a week, and, and you start paring down. Well, I could eat three meals a day. I could get away with two. If I get away with two, that might make, get a few extra years at the end of life. Y'all can laugh with me because we've all seen people do this, right? This is not what I want for us. As a matter of fact, I don't think it's what God wants for us. I want to share with you a, a better uh, method that we see in the Bible. And so uh, that's what we're going to look at today, because here's the truth. It's hard to save for tomorrow if you don't feel like you have enough for today. And so if you were here for part one and you're trying to figure out how to deal with your yesterdays, and if you were here last week where we talked about, yeah, today is tough, and then this whole idea of, seriously, Jimmy, now you want to start talking about setting aside some from tomorrow? I'm still trying to figure out part one. I'm still paying bills. I get it. It is hard to save for tomorrow if you feel like there isn't enough for today, but I believe God wants us to do this anyway. So let's look at some wisdom from the Bible. Luke chapter 14, if you've got your Bibles, we'll start in verse 31. But let me give you the context to this. Jesus is teaching a group of people, and in this case, he has decided to talk to them about the cost of following him. And he says, look, I want you to be very cautious because tomorrow following me could get real expensive. Matter of fact, it may be more expensive than you're ready to pay. So I want you to think today about what tomorrow will mean. And it's very interesting as he's talking about the cost of following him. Think today about what tomorrow could do to you and what it could mean. He actually uses examples that include finances and some other things as well. So let's look at two examples that he uses. The first one is he, in verse 31, he says, So what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Well, that's common sense. We should do that kind of deliberation. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Let's point out the obvious. This king can see 10,000, and then he can see 20,000 is coming. And we don't have that same option, do we? Can anybody in here predict what you are going to face tomorrow? That was not a trick question. Come on, are y'all with me today? Say, no. There you go. Can any of us declare what is going to go wrong with our retirement fund? Can you predict what experience? My, my dad had my dad, again, blue-collar worker, put into the retirement fund and, and then found out one day when he came to work and there were chains around the doors that the accountant had taken everything that belonged to everybody from the company to the end of the pension fund. So even when my dad tried, we can't predict that there's 20,000 coming we don't know. 
And too often we think we're the wise king. I mean, look, a wise king looks and says, I got 10,000 soldiers at my command. I'm in good shape. But he was able to see 20,000 comes tomorrow. Here's the reality. We all know there are dangers of tomorrow. Every single one of us. And we can't count those like he could. 10,000, 20,000, 20,000 is more. I've got a problem. We can't count our specific problem, but we know that they will come. We know there are dangers. And there's a proverb in the Bible that says that the prudent sees danger and takes refuge. You see the danger and you do something about it. Now, just because we can't specifically count out a 20,000 soldier army coming, we do know there are dangers. Have you ever considered some of them? Like, you do know things will cost more when you're older. Raise your hand if you're under 30. Did you know things are going to cost more when you're older? How much? 10% more? 20% more? 100% more? Let me tell you what every generation I've ever talked to has said. My first house was cheaper than my last car. So for those of you in your 20s, welcome to reality. If you think you can just put aside a few coins and you're going to be fine, no, you're not. Imagine the difficulty of buying a house today and a 30-year mortgage that goes with it. You will be expected not many years from now, while you're still working if you're in your 20s, to buy a car with maybe a five-year loan or less on the same deal. Things are going to cost so much more. It always has. We can expect that it will continue. How about this? Have you considered you will have to stop working someday and live off of whatever you have stored up? Have you considered this? You may have to stop working someday sooner than you want. Some of us, our bodies don't go where we want them to go as long as we want them to go or our health doesn't keep up with that. Other life circumstances don't keep up with it. Your industry could die. You know, there were people that used to make a living riding stagecoaches. I'm just seeing if you are with me today. And there are people that used to make a living helping people get on and off trains across the country. Something could change. How about this? You may experience a storm. I haven't met anybody my age who has not met a significant life-altering storm that affected their finances as well. So the question is, if you can at least see the reality of these dangers, yes, maybe you can't count the exact number of them or the degree of what they will cost. If you can see the dangers, what are you doing to be prudent and take refuge? But let's back up now because he told a second story right before that one. Go back to verse 28. He says, which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. Catch that? They begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I used to live in rural North Carolina and taught school there, and so we would have a lot of, of band events where we'd go from one school to another, or football events and things where you're traveling the backwoods of rural North Carolina. And there was this one guy that had clearly decided to build his own house. And at first, I think that's impressive. Because if he's building his own house, I'm betting that he's going down to Home Depot and paying cash for the materials. And I was impressed as I watched this house start to go up. And he got to a point where he got a floor built and he got all of the walls, studs, they were all built. And then he got the roof put on. And then for the next eight years, I watched the wood rot. And then I watched the wood fall. 
And over those eight years, I went from being impressed, and I've never met him, to thinking he's a fool. I could be wrong. It's not good to judge, right? Y'all know that? But come on, we all think thoughts. You drive down the road and you watch this happen and you're thinking, uh, he's not wise, why did he stop? And this proverb, I'm sorry, this verse came to mind as we were doing that. Just, just back then, I would think, I wonder, if he, I wonder if he's made good plans to be able to finish this house or he was just gonna kind of go as he went. We don't want our lives to be like this house. I don't want you to get out there in your 20s and your 30s and the foundation is going, some walls are going up and it's all looking good. But then we get later in life and the wood is rotting, maybe even falling down and we haven't been able to finish the tower. See, here's a reality we need to face. Our tomorrow is a witness to the world. Did y'all catch that? Our tomorrow, how we live tomorrow is a witness to the world. It just said if he can't finish what he set out to do, they're going to mock him. It would be very difficult for someone in his position to say, hey, follow me. Come and be like me. My God is a good God who blesses as you see his house falling down behind him, right? I mean, come on, let's have some common sense. It is difficult for us to stand up and say, God, you are awesome when our tomorrow is worthy of mockery. You see, what happens is if we get to a point that we cannot finish our tower, there are only two options that could be there. Option number one is we didn't do it God's way. Or option number two is God's ways don't work. It's the only thing that we can reveal to the world if we begin a tower that we cannot finish. Maybe when I say we didn't do it God's way, that means that we didn't apply any of the principles like stay out of debt because the borrower is slave to lender or be content with what you have and set aside some for tomorrow and then the part will add in next week. I mean, I'm not giving you my advice. I'm trying to give you God's principles throughout this series. But we all know how difficult it is to just say, I'm going to do it, right? I mean, come on. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands, but I guarantee you the minority of people who have just walked out the door and made an incredible budgetary financial change because you just, you just got it, right? The rest of us are thinking we want to and we're kind of struggling with it. I told you in part one how many years it took us to finally say, we're going to do this. So some of us, unfortunately, our story is going to be we just didn't quite do it God's way. And then for someone else, if we don't admit to that, then we're trying to tell them that God's ways don't work because we followed him with our lives. So the obvious question is, what do we need to do if we want to finish our tower? I mean, if you want to get to a point that you finish what you set out to do and your tomorrow is a good witness to the world, three simple words. Put tomorrow first. Got to put tomorrow first. It's, it's counterintuitive because Today is today. It is hard for me to make a priority out of something that's not here yet while I'm living in the midst of what's going on around me, right? It's counterintuitive. But look at what the Bible says in Proverbs 24. Prepare your work outside. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. And after that, build your house. Now let's make sure we kind of understand what's going on here. What that means is get your tomorrow secure and then you can enjoy today with whatever's left, which is so backwards for us because most of us, my, we, what if someone said, would you go to lunch with us? I'm sorry, I don't have money to go to lunch. What do we automatically assume? They don't have money or they had to use it to pay yesterday's bills. No one by that says, actually, I'm skipping lunch because I've decided to put it in my retirement fund. 
You see, today is just here and I've got to eat. Today is just here and that new shirt is on sale. If you were here last week, I told you how much I like to shop, right? Come on, somebody with me? I ordered two new pairs of shoes this week, didn't I, babe? There you go. Zappos. Yes, sorry. Anyway, look, it's so hard to worry about tomorrow when you are in the middle of just enjoying all that is here and wanting to enjoy what is here it seems so counterintuitive but let's take this verse literally let's just imagine we go back in time 2000 years okay can you guys do this with me because this was written back when most people grew what they ate or traded or sold and there weren't many computer programmers in biblical times all right so we're gonna we're gonna imagine this literally 2000 years ago you are young and you get married to this really cute little wife and she's awesome right come on If she's not, why'd you just get married to her? Come on, right? So, of course, all right? And your dad says, all right, son, for your wedding gift, I'm giving you this plot of land over here, okay? And and so, as most guys do, we we want to impress this cute little wife, right? Come on, guys, yeah? And and so, we walk over and say, hey, look here what my dad gave us. This is going to be awesome. It's going to be such a great dream, and and we're going to just do great things. We're going to plant a house, build a house right over there, right in that corner, and we're going to be able to look at all of our stuff. Let's go over here, and let's get started on the house. Now, now the wife, usually the wiser one, y'all just missed your opportunity. I rebuke y'all. Seriously, ladies, when do I give you that chance? And the, and the wiser, cute little wife says, but honey, if we build the house, this, this lunch bag is going to be empty by the time we're done. And then what are we going to eat? And, and, and then what are we going to do during the winter? And when we need clothing what are we going to trade for that because we can't trade away the house the house will be all we have matter of fact i'm willing to bet honey one of our parents will put up with us on the couch until we get everything else done so we probably have a place to live why don't we take care of our tomorrow let's get something in the ground that will grow let's get something coming up that'll be there tomorrow let's get something that'll feed us when we move into the house let's get something that'll feed us while we build the house let's get something that'll feed us or we can take it to the market and trade for whatever else we need let's take care of tomorrow and then we can worry about today after all we're newlyweds we can sleep under the stars some of the time right come on you guys understand that's what this verse means prepare your work in the fields and take care of that before you start worrying about your comfort today when someone actually puts tomorrow first the bible tells us there are going to be some things that show up in their lives there are a couple of them that i think make the top of the list i want to share with you the first is that they're typically not in need They're typically not in need. The Bible says that precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. You see, here's the deal. If you want to have precious treasure and oil in your house, it was saved up, right? That's how it got there. It was saved up. It was not all used yesterday or today. It was saved up for tomorrow. You simply won't have it for tomorrow if you use it all today. Matter of fact, that verse, the Bible went as far as to say, if you use it all, that's what it means by devour. If you use it all, not a drop left, there are no leftovers in the fridge, it's foolish. It's actually foolish to use it all. You see, last week in part two, we talked about the secret to today was contentment. Contentment and dealing with whatever it took to live within our means. Now, I can't promise that all of our lives are going to be equally wealthy. That's not the point when I say not in need. But what I 
mean is as you get older and you have to live within your means, your means are going to be much better. Y'all catch that? Your means are going to be much better because you have been adding to them over the long haul. The second thing that we're going to see is that those people are able to give. Proverbs 13 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Look, I think everybody in here wants to be the generous grandma, don't you? Generous grandpa. Raise your hand if you want to be the stingy generous. I mean, come on. We all want to be the one that shows up for Christmas and your hands are so full with presents for the grandkids that they go, Grandpa! Grandpa! They're running out the house and down the driveway. They can't wait for you to get there. Granted, they're a little less excitement and excited in April when you're not carrying gifts, but they still love you because they know Christmas comes again, right? Come on. Everybody wants to be the generous grandma, the generous grandpa. I think everybody wants to be the one who can send them to summer camp. But let's face it. Some of you are here now. Some of you are there, wherever you are. You remember what it was like when you were in your 30s and you had five kids. And all the kids said, I want to go to summer camp. And you look at the price tag of summer camp times five. And you had to say, oh, I mean, mean, we're in our 30s. We're not at the top of our income yet. We're both working and we're, you know, we're we're trying to get out of debt and we're still paying college bills and we cannot afford to send five of you to summer camp. Look, you know what that's like, right? So don't you want to be the one later in life who remembers and says, you know what, son, I'm sending your kids to summer camp. That's what we want. Or how about this? You want to be able to send your kids, your grandkids on a mission trip. Better than summer camp. Do you know how many kids every single year here at Grace Life, they come to our interest meetings for the missions trips that we're taking during the summer. Now think about this. Teenagers that want to give up their free time and go somewhere where their cell phone doesn't work. I mean, that alone is like worshiping God, right? (laughs) They go somewhere where Wi-Fi probably doesn't exist and and they have no cell phone cover and, and they want to experience what God could do through their life. And they sit in those meetings and go, I don't know if I'm going to be able to afford it. Don't you wish you were the one that could look at your grandchild and say, you are going on that trip. Matter of fact, I'm going to go one step further. I bet some of you want to be generous to more than your grandkids. I bet there are people right now that are saying, which trip and how much do those kids need? But here's the truth you can never get away from. Generosity requires ability. Generosity requires ability. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not giving you an excuse that says if you are not wealthy that you can't be generous. That's not what I mean. But the truth is, if you want to pay for your grandkids' mission trip, you can't be worried about your own groceries. You just simply won't have the math. And if you want to be in a place someday, maybe in retirement, maybe even earlier, where you can hear the pastor talk about kids wanting to go, and they don't even have to be your grandkids, and you can write that check. Generosity requires ability. We have to make some decisions and put ourselves in a position where we can do these things. Now, I know right now, first of all, I can see some faces. The lights are pretty bright, but I can see some faces. And I know that for some of you, this message is more depressing because of your age. And you've reached a point where you think, I wish I'd heard this earlier, and it's just really too late for me to make a change. It's too late for me to talk. I'm already living in my tomorrows. And first of all, I just want to say, don't let the enemy tell you that. 
because there are people who are going to live like my grandmother until 96. Some of you who think it's too late may still have 30 or 40, at least 25 more years to go. But here's the more important concept I want you to get today. Don't get depressed about what I've said because of the math. There are too many of us that look at our age, that's one number, and then we look at what we make or don't make, and that's another number, and we say, well, it's just not possible. And you have not left room for what a multiplying God can do if you simply take the smallest step. I don't know if you're familiar with some of the stories in the Bible, but God has been known on multiple occasions to multiply when people have the right heart toward him. So I just want to speak to anybody who just feels it's too late. I wish I hadn't have come today. All I did was get depressed here. No, no, no. It is never too late to say, God, I'm going to take the tiny bit that I have and put my heart towards you, and I'm going to trust you to do some serious multiplication in the few years I've got left. But for the younger ones, for the younger ones, God is asking you, will you trust my ways? Will you trust my ways? Will you begin to live in a way that puts godly wisdom into your life? Will you do your best not to let your yesterdays haunt you? Will you begin to choose a hamburger even though you've got money for a steak and put the rest of it away for tomorrow? Will you make that choice? I've got an example in the Bible of someone who did. It's a guy named King David. God said he's a man after my own heart. There's so much we could say about him. I could preach for an entire year on him and never repeat anything. He wrote most of Psalms in the Old Testament. And he was the greatest king of all of God's people ever in history. And he wanted to do one thing. He wanted to build the greatest temple the earth had ever seen for the greatest God. But God said, you know, I appreciate that. It's good that it's in your heart. But that's not for you. Your son will do it, actually. Now, at that point, when most of us said, you know, God, I'd really like to have a beach house. And God says, well, actually, no, but your son will. Most of us would say, well, I guess I'm going to go spend all the money I got left in, right? (laughs) I mean, come on, let's just be honest. But David did the exact opposite. David said, okay, well, if you won't let me be in charge of the construction, I'm still going to fund it. And David took every bit of the last years of his life and he stockpiled as much of his money as he could, everything that was under his control, and he put it in such a huge pile that when Solomon came in to build the temple, he never asked, how are we going to pay for it? Because it was already paid for by somebody who put tomorrow first. See, God's put something in your heart. And it might be your grandkids' college. It might be a down payment on a house for every one of your children when they get married so they don't struggle like you did. Who knows what it is? But what I want for you is for you to look at God in your tomorrow, whenever, and say, God, you are good. My last days are better than my first. If I could have any dream for you, you know that's what it says about Job in the Bible. Job, who had everything and lost everything and got everything back, says his last days were better than his first. That's what I want for you. Last days to be better than your first. But that might require applying God's wisdom while it is still today to put tomorrow first.
Amen. I want to close by taking the same concept but applying it spiritually. Many of you might be just like me. I went to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And every time somebody said, Jesus needs to be your Lord and Savior, I said, tomorrow. I'm too busy dealing with life today. Got some words I don't want to stop saying today. Got a girl I want to keep dating today. Whatever the story is, I'll deal with that tomorrow. And you know, you've probably heard somebody say, how do you know you're going to live to tomorrow? What if you die today? I'll, I'll be honest with you. The majority of people I've met, they don't suddenly die Sunday night. But what I've seen happen so much is that every day their heart gets harder and harder and harder. And eventually a tomorrow comes and they no longer care that Jesus died for them. So for anyone here who has never made Jesus your king, I want to challenge you today to put tomorrow first. That's eternity. Put eternity in front of whatever it is that you're in love with in this world. And say, Jesus, I want you to be my king. If you've never done that, I'm going to help you do that today. And just You don't have to stand up, come down front, anything awkward, but right where you're seated. I'd like to lead you in a conversation. Would you all join me in pray? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Thank you that you died for me, and now I want to live for you. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer here today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.